0: Amen. Thank you, Pastor Keith. Um, my name is Megan Hicks. I have been coming to this church for about three years, and I am so thankful for you guys, for everyone that's here, for everyone that's watching. Hello. Um, I'm so happy to be here today. Um, I just wanted to say a quick shout out um, to all the teachers and nurses. This last week was teacher and nurse appreciation week. It's not too late to text or call someone and just thank them for their service. Um, I come from a long family of nurses and teachers, and I am a teacher, so thank you teachers for what you do, nurses for what you do. Um, And I also know that tomorrow is Mother's Day. So I know we have a few moms here tonight. So if you're a mom, if you wouldn't mind standing up right now, um, we just want to pray for you. Um, So again, if you're a mom, if you're watching online and you're a mom as well, you can feel free to stand up at your home. Hopefully you're not watching alone. There's someone near you. And for those of us that are here, if you could just extend a hand I'm going to go ahead and just pray for them. Um, Feel free to pray for them as well. We just thank you, Lord, um, for these women that you've called to be mothers. We just want to honor them today, Lord. Um, And we pray that they would feel celebrated and honored every day of their lives. We thank you again for the strong calling and anointing that is on their lives. And we just pray, Father, that um, as they move forward for the rest of 2020, that they would continue um, to just recognize the overwhelming um, sense of joy, your fullness and peace in their life at all times. Um, we just pray, Father, that you would continue to give them encouragement, you would continue to strengthen them, and you would continue to fill them with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, moms. We, I love moms. Moms are awesome. Couldn't be here without them. So true. <laughs> All right, Um, I'm actually going to go ahead and open up with um, a picture that the Lord was showing me earlier this week. And so like my husband shared last week, he was in a time of worship with me, um, and the Lord gave him a vision something similar actually happened to me this week as well. So one of our favorite things to do um, is find a time around high noon, put on some worship music. Um, If you haven't seen before, my husband has this very large speaker that he calls Party Rocker, and he just kind of drags it all through the house. So if I'm not up, you know, pretty early in the morning, I'll hear music starting to come out of Party Rocker. I'll hear some shouts in the back room, and they'll get louder and louder. And so usually around noon, it ends up in the middle of our house, which is our living room. So this past week um, as he was playing those songs and as I was beginning to listen to the lyrics um, I found myself resting so a lot of times I'm worshiping I'm praising I'm going for it and then I'll just start to listen to the lyrics and receive and when I was listening to the lyrics um, I saw this picture which, how many of us know that a lot of times the Lord speaks to us through impressions? It might be the first picture that comes to mind. Uh, might be a thought. It's a thought that isn't coming from you, right? You hear it and you're like, "This is God speaking." It's that inner whisper that's coming from within so as I'm resting as I'm listening to the song and as the lyrics are starting to play I see what looks like a hand and this hand comes down and it touches the very bottom of this massive tree I've, I've never seen a tree like this I couldn't see the top um, I could just see to the bottom branch of where it was at and I could see that the Lord was resting his hand on the bottom of this tree he began to follow the ground and I looked and when he stopped on the ground there was a tiny 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 piece of root that was poking up from the ground. So I thought it was really interesting the word Pastor Keith just shared about roots and tree. I was like, there he goes again, taking the message, taking the sermon. But the Lord pulled up this root and as he began to pull it up, I could hear this breaking noise. He was pulling the root and I could see little roots that were coming off of the main root were snapping up and he pulled it until it was completely exposed. Once he did that, he set it down. He went on to the next root and he continued to do that. He continued to do that until every single root was exposed from that tree. As that picture began to dissolve, I saw another image. This one was of a person. I didn't distinguish who it was. It was just a body. And the Lord's hand was reaching inside the torso and was pulling out different organs and holding them up to the light. I could see that he was carefully pulling up each one. He would look at it. He would examine it. And he would place it back in. And as I saw these two pictures, one of the tree and the roots and the other of the human and the organs coming together, I heard the Lord speak this. He said to me, in this time, I am." I am uncovering the deeper things in mankind that typically remain covered. I am exposing these deeper things to expose the genuine makeup, revealing and then allowing healing and restoration to occur. These two components are in my nature, and these two things are truly things only I can do. Now, out of that, um, three words I highlighted were uncovered, healing and restoration. And the reason why those words jumped out to me is because the uncovering is an act of God and the healing and restoration is actually a move of God, that in this time of quarantine, in this time um, of actually, there's a, a German word we came across. It's called zeitgeist. It's Germanic in root. Zeitgeist means the defining spirit or mood of a particular period of history as shown by the ideas and beliefs of this time. So what I believe is that the Lord is actually developing a zeitgeist or an essence out of this time that's calling Christians forward into action, that he is doing an act of God by uncovering things inside us, uncovering things in our society, uncovering things throughout the world and it's going to allow a healing and restoration to occur that we haven't even begun to experience or tap into yet. I know that there's a lot of things that are being revealed in this time. Um, We see that rates of, unfortunately, murder, domestic abuse are at an all-time high. Um, I was reading in the news this week, there's something called giant murder hornets. I don't know if you've seen those, but they started to come into the United States from across Asia. Different concepts that we haven't been exposed to before. Things that aren't of our kingdom, but of the darkness are coming forth. And what they're going to reveal is a move of God that God is going to do. As I was praying about this, yes, hallelujah, as I was praying about this and I was praying about what the call to action would look like, there were three particular things that the Lord highlighted to me, and I recognize that this isn't an extensive list. There's many things we could talk to you about today when it comes to us being Christians and us being called to action, but the first one I wanted to touch on was a supernatural lifestyle or a lifestyle of signs and wonders. I'm going to go ahead and start with 2 Kings verse, or excuse me, Second Kings chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. Again, this is 2 Kings chapter 1, verses 9 through 13 as we begin to talk about the supernatural in Christians' lives. Uh, Personally, for me, I love that our God is a supernatural God. I I wasn't raised in a church that was supernatural, and it wasn't something that I encountered until I was in college. I remember being a young girl, and I remember being, 15 years ago, uh, a girl who gave her life to Christ one day by herself in her bedroom. And it was during that time when I gave my life to Christ that he actually revealed himself as a supernatural God. I I was by myself, there was no one nearby, I was actually crying myself myself to sleep because my parents had said something that hurt me. Uh, Looking back, it wasn't anything they intentionally did. They're very loving parents. I just was an emotional child. And so as I was going to bed and I was crying, I began to call upon the Lord. And when that happened, I was filled with a peace, filled with a joy that burst into laughter. I didn't know it was happening. Again, this was 15 years ago. I was eight, nine years old. But when that happened, I actually saw what looked like electricity beginning to form in my closet. I couldn't comprehend what was happening. I didn't quite understand what it was, but I received it. When I acknowledged it, it actually came out of the closet, came on me, and gave me a life, just a a sense of joy, a sense of peace, a sense of life that i never experienced before. And what the Lord really was able to do is He was able to plant that seed, plant that in my heart. Because again, I wasn't raised in a supernatural church. So it wasn't until 10 years later when I began to encounter other Christians who were moving in the supernatural that I began to understand that the Bible that I'd read as a girl was never meant to be a history book, but it was meant to be an actual call to action. It was meant to be a training manual, and it was meant to be something I could rely upon and use every day. So when I'm looking at 2 Kings chapter 1, is it up there? Okay, Um, if you look in verse 9, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. It starts off by saying, Then he sent an army captain with 50 soldiers to arrest him. They found him sitting on top of a hill. The captain said to him, Man of God, the king has commanded you to come down with us. But Elijah replied to the captain, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and destroy you and your 50 men. Then fire fell from heaven and killed them all. So the king sent another captain with 50 men. The captain said to him, Man of God, the king demands that you come down at once. Elijah replied, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and destroy you and your 50 men. And again, the fire of God fell from heaven and killed them all. Once more, the king sent a third captain with 50 men. But this time, the captain went up the hill and fell to his knees before Elijah. He pleaded with them, O man of God, please spare my life and the lives of these, your 50 servants. See how the fire from heaven came down and destroyed the first two groups. But now please spare my life. Well, what's happening in this particular passage is that Elijah, the uh, prophet at that time, was approached by the king that was over Israel. The king had actually um, been standing on a landing. He fell through and the king was asking his people to ask Elijah if he was going to die. Elijah therefore responded as you saw in this particular passage. But whenever he was being asked by the soldiers that the king of Israel at that time had sent to him, Elijah was able to call upon God in such a way and testify in such a way that we see the Lord's kingdom is uncontested. We see that whenever God's kingdom is brought into the light, every single time it will remain uncontested. And I love that because as we step out into supernatural lifestyles and as we step out into these ways, there's nothing that can challenge God's kingdom. I've seen so many times with old Christians, new Christians, I've seen people believe the lie that God's kingdom is equal to darkness or equal to the enemy's kingdom. They think a lot of times that for whatever God's going to do, the enemy is going to retaliate in such an equal amount of power. And there's no truth behind that because ultimately God's kingdom is far greater than any other kingdom that has ever stood or ever will stand. That God's kingdom again is uncontested as we see in this particular passage. If you go on to chapter 2, again, staying in 2 Kings, but chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, we actually see Elijah now with Elisha, his disciple, and moving into the town of Bethel. In verse 3, it says, The group of prophets from Bethel came to Elisha and asked him, Did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Of course I know, Elisha answered, but be quiet about it. And then Elisha said to, excuse me, then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here for the Lord has told me to go to Jericho. But Elisha replied again, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on together to Jericho. Then the group of prophets from Jericho came to Elisha and asked him, did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Of course I know, Elisha answered, but be quiet about it. Then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here for the Lord has told me to go to the Jordan River. How fun is that? How would you like to walk into a group or a setting where the people are able to prophesy to you what's happening when you haven't even disclosed anything to them yet? I've actually had this happen to myself um, in different seasons of life with different friends, um, even at times roommates who I really wanted to be close with, I wanted to spend time with, but because of scheduling or because of other things, we didn't get that time. So rather than let that turn into hurt or sadness, I actually began to pray for them and they began to pray for me. And what we found was during those times of praying for one another, the Lord would actually reveal things to us about the other person. And when we met up with each other, we were able to talk about those things. We called it a walkie-talkie or a Holy Spirit walkie-talkie at times, and it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to see surprise on people's faces as you're asking them, how was your day? how that conversation go with so-and-so? And what'd you do about that time when that lady said something? And they just look at you in disbelief. They're like, how did you know that? I didn't even tell anybody that. It's because this is actually part of the vision that God has for our church and our for community. He wants us to walk in unity and fellowship in such a way that we can actually prophesy to one another, and we can walk in union and in the spirit with each other. I love that now Jesus has come for us, and we can move in such a way that all can prophesy. Prophecy in its simplest form is just hearing God speak, and this is something that we can all do all times of the day at any times as well. If you go on to the next chapter, uh, chapter 3 verses 15 through 20 we now see in verses 15 through 20 Elijah has ascended into heaven and now Elisha is moving out in the same power prophesying in the same way as Elijah did we see that in this particular passage the power of the Lord is coming on Elisha and the miraculous is occurring in verse 15 it says now bring me someone who can play the harp While the harp was being played, the power of the Lord came upon Elisha, and he said, This is what the Lord says. This dry valley will be filled with pools of water. You will see neither wind nor rain, says the Lord, but this valley will be filled with water. You will have plenty for yourselves and your cattle and other animals, but this is only a simple thing for the Lord, for he will make you victorious over the army of Moab. You will conquer the best of their towns, even the fortified ones. You will cut down all their good trees, stop up all their springs, and ruin all their good land with stones. The next day, at about the same time when the morning sacrifice was offered, water suddenly appeared. It was flowing from the direction of Edom, and soon there was water everywhere." I love that in this particular passage, Elisha first decides to seek worship. He asks for a harp to be brought to him, and when the harp is brought, it is then played. We see that once he engages in that worship zone, once he engages in that communion with God, the power of the Lord comes upon him. And I know so many of us today can testify that some of the most powerful encounters we've had with the Lord is when we too have gone before him and sought him in worship. It's another thing that God does is that we can move either as a church and see the Lord's kingdom uncontested. We can move with other believers and prophesy or just fellowship with one another. And we can also see this move individually through worship and through the power of God. One of the reasons why I chose these three chapters to highlight the supernatural aspect was because... Earlier this year was brought up again, but in these past few years, there's been a consistent prophetic word that's been going on about great people that have gone before us, um, Bob Jones, Billy Graham, Reinhard Bonnke, Elijah's in our time, that now they're with the Lord, have passed on their mantle to us, God's people, and are receiving something new, a a double portion like Elisha received when Elijah ascended. I believe that we see this happening in these three chapters, but it's also something that God's still calling for us to do. I love Pastor Bruce for telling my husband and I and so many here that his foundation, or excuse me, his ceiling is our foundation that the people who've gone before us we're meant to expand and do even greater things than those things and I personally find that such a challenge. I love that. I love that I can continue moving forward. I continue moving into the greater things of God that even the things we've read out of these three chapters and the things we've seen are only the very beginning of what God wants to do. But I just want to encourage us that whenever we're looking at our life, I know so many of us um, have seen supernatural things or can testify to supernatural things but to contend as well for these things to continue happening in our lives on a daily basis. It it could be something like we see with Elisha, just this power of God coming upon you. That's miraculous. That's supernatural. That's individual as well. It could be you walking out with your family or another group of believers and prophesying to one another and living in that too. But continue to contend and look for those supernatural things in your lives. I want to go ahead and lead us next to Hebrews chapter 7, verses 14 through 17. 17. Again, Hebrews chapter 7, verses 14 through 17. And I want to touch on a little bit of unity or unification with the Father. I am so thankful that we get to walk with the Lord in such a close and intimate way. Um, As many of you know, I'm Hispanic. I grew up Hispanic. Um, I'm fifth, sixth generation from Mexico, actually. And unity has always been a huge aspect um, in my family's culture. When it comes to unity, there were so many times I didn't quite understand when I was a kid because I didn't grow up with a lot of other people that shared my family's culture or beliefs. And so, so many times I would get frustrated when I was a kid because I I would see all my friends running off and spending time with each other or kind of bouncing around and I was always with my family. There were even times when other friends would joke about that to me. They'd be like, oh, Megan's gonna be with her family again. Oh, Megan's gonna be camping with her family again. But it was such an emphasis that was on my life and I didn't actually see the fruit of that until I was much older. When I went to college and I was able to look around and see the product of what happened to so many of my friends that didn't have that family unit, that didn't have those family family values, I was able to thank the Lord and thank my mom and dad for instilling that in me. Now that I'm married, unity has taken on a whole new definition, whole new meaning. Um, I've been very independent for most of my life, um, just kind of going about doing my own thing. And so it really opened my eyes when I became married and I realized that's no longer the case. That's never going to be the same again. Um, my husband is working right now and I'm so proud of him for doing that and for going out into the streets and doing that. But other than those Those few days when he works, we're pretty much attached to the hip. We do everything together, um, which I absolutely love. But as I was reflecting on what unity with the Father looks like, that was the relationships that I was able to take the most from my marriage and my family and think about what that looks like with the Lord because my relationship with him is so much more intimate even than those. That even though I'm so close to my family and I'm so close to Terrence, I'm still always gonna be closer to God because of what he's done for me and how I'm able to receive that. So looking at Hebrews chapter 7, 14 through 17, it says, For we all know that our Lord didn't descend from the tribe of Levi, but shined from the tribe of Judah. And Moses himself never said anything of a priest in connection with Judah's tribe. And all this is made even clearer if there was another king priest raised up with the rank of Melchizedek. This king priest did not arise because of a genealogical right under the law to be a priest, but by the power of an indestructible resurrection life. Indestructible resurrection life. That word indestructible, if it's translated from the Aramaic, uh, the... Commentary that Terrence and I read actually says and describes that word indestructible as tied together in unity. It means a united life or union with God. Our commentary stated that resurrection life is implied for the priestly ministry of Jesus began after he was raised from the dead. The Aramaic can be translated He has life giving power that has no beginning. Jesus's ministry of prophet, priest, and king flows from his unlimited life of resurrection power. That's so powerful to me, and I hope it is for y'all too, because that word indestructible is testifying that the spirit and the life that Christ has given us has no beginning and it has no end. That because we are tied together in unity with him, and when I think of tied, I think a lot of times um, a shoelace almost, or if you got two ropes and you tie them together, that you could still see those two pieces of rope, you could still distinguish them, but they're so close, they're so knitted together that you can't see the beginning, and a lot of times you can't see the end either. There's no beginning and no end to the power that God has placed in us, and when we tap into that power that is part of the unity of Christ, there's nothing that we won't be able to see, and there's nothing that we won't be able to do. It's amazing to operate in that indestructible power. It gives you a confidence. It gives you beliefs. It gives you a security that you really can't see challenge anywhere else. I know for me, so times in my life, um, I've seen so many times where I felt like I couldn't do something or I felt like um, this wasn't gonna happen. I just have to remind myself, that's right. If I'm thinking like that or if I'm operating as it just being me, I'm not going to. But as long as I step into unity with the living God and I call upon that indestructible power, that unification, union with him is the best thing you could imagine. And the last thing I want to touch on for tonight is holiness. So when we're looking at holiness, the first passage that jumped out to me is in 1 Peter when the Lord says, be holy because I am holy. And every time I read that, I get goosebumps on my body because that is such a high calling to think that we would be holy, that we would be set apart because he is holy and he is set apart. It's such a challenging concept sometimes to meditate on. Um, I mentioned earlier, I didn't grow up in a supernatural church. I was actually raised Catholic. And so for me as a child, I was exposed um, to a lot of religious beliefs, a lot of legalistic beliefs. I remember my parents getting burnt out when I was in middle school because they had questions um, that they could never get answers to. That they would see the same people on a consistent basis throughout the week, but it seemed almost like they were different people on Sunday in church than they were throughout the week. And I saw this in my classes as well, in the homes of my friends and I began to actually see what true holiness looks like. When we are holy because God is holy, we realize that he alone is the one that is set apart. I've gone all over the world. I've been to every single country except Antarctica. I've talked to so many people groups, cultures, people that express other religions, and I have to this day to find anyone that comes close to our God. I love um, Hebrews 4, where it talks about rest because I see for myself and for so many that rest is something that Christians carry in our society that our society really doesn't offer. When I think about God and I think about how he set apart, I think about what are the characteristics that are in him that I can exemplify that set me apart as well. And again, rest has always been something that stuck out to me, A, because I love rest, not just as an action like sleep, but living a life of rest, operating out of realms of rest. And it's actually something that's been spoken a lot about the church in this season, specifically the Western church during this time. There've been so many people that have found so much time on their hands. They've been trying to implement this rest. And if that's you, I would encourage you to not just look for times of rest, but to actually seek that out as a lifestyle. When you're looking in Hebrews chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 4 actually defines it as a realm of rest, and it calls it the faith rest life. So if you look at Hebrews chapter four, verses one through three, verse one starts off by saying, now God has offered to us the same promise of entering into his realm of resting in confident faith. So we must be extremely careful to ensure that we all embrace the fullness of that promise and not fail to experience it. For we have heard the good news of deliverance just as they did, yet they didn't join their faith with the word. Instead, what they heard didn't affect them deeply, for they doubted. For those of us who believe, faith activates the promise, and we experience the realm of confident rest. I want to just read that last part again so it can sink in. It says, faith activates the promise, and we experience the realm of confident rest. I love, just thinking back to what the Lord spoke me, to me that I mentioned at the beginning of our sermon, that there's that act of God followed by that move of God. And I see that in this specific passage where it talks about an activation. Faith is activating that act of God. And then we're able to experience the move of God through that realm of confident rest. I also love, and I'm reading out of the Passion Translation, by the way, if you're like, where is she getting this Um The Passion Translation states that it's not just a realm of rest, but it's a realm of confident rest. And going back to that word confidence, there's so many times in my life um, where I've seen things produced when I'm able to operate out of that in new ways. I love how the Lord wants to produce things in all of us as we operate out of this confidence rest, things that will manifest other characteristics that are reflected of him and that will be taken into our roots and in those organs. Again, going back to that picture he showed me at the beginning, I really believe that what he's doing for everyone in this room and during this time is as he's exposing our roots and as he's exposing our organs, he's instilling deeper virtues of supernatural lifestyles, of unity with him, of rest in such ways that for all the seasons we enter into for the rest of our time on this planet we will not encounter any challenges or anything that comes against those that we will be people of such rest that we will be unmoved from that rest that we will be people that exhibit such attributes of a supernatural lifestyle that no one would be able to deny that God is alive in our lives that we would walk out in the unity of who he is in such powerful ways that we would see no beginning and no end to the power of God that flows through us. Ultimately, as I'm talking about a call to action, I'm talking about what it means to be a true disciple to Christ. Um, And that word disciple has always stuck out to me because it's a word that I'd only seen in the Bible applied to Jesus' disciples when he walked the earth. But as I've grown with my walk of God, I've continued to see um, for over a decade now that disciples are people who are still walking the earth today, that as long as you have professed that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, and as long as you continue to live out the characteristics that he modeled in the word, and he speaks to us on a daily basis, you're a disciple of Christ as well. I actually want to conclude with this quote. It's a quote from Billy Graham, and it really stuck out to me because it happened right before he passed away. He went ahead and gave a speech about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Um, And again, I want to read it to us tonight. It says, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? It means, first of all, that we want to learn from him. And we will, as we study God's word, the Bible, and listen to others teach from it. Make the Bible part of your life every day. The psalmist said, the unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. But being a disciple also means we want to put God's word into action by seeking to live the way Christ wants us to live with God's help. Thank God every day for his great love for you, and ask him to help you share his love with others. Again, my hope for today is that you've already been called to action by the sermon that my husband preached last week, but you're going to take that a step further this week and by listening to my words and ultimately what God has spoken through me, continue to move forward in action this week. I have three questions for you, and if you're listening online, these three questions are for you as well. The questions are this, God, how can I put your word into action? How can I share your love to others? And how are you calling me to action? So for those of you that are here and for those of you that are listening online, if you just want to close your eyes and just call out to God at this time, I'm going to repeat those three questions. They're also on the screen. God, how can I put your word into action? How can I share your love to others? And how are you calling me to action? We're going to take a few minutes for us to just hear from the Lord and again respond to what he's saying to those three questions. Just know for everything that I've spoken tonight, this is actually the most powerful and the most important part, that you could sit in your seats, listen online, you could listen to all that I have to say, I could talk for the next five hours, but if you don't do anything and if you don't respond to God, it's all for nothing. So please take this time now to just cry out to God and ask him how he's calling you to action.